0: just a couple of weeks called Home Run and it has very close ties to the worldwide ministry of Celebrate Recovery which is a vital ministry in this local church and uh, just last week on Easter Sunday as we talked about redeemed lives uh, we celebrated uh, with Johnny Wagner uh, on his 22 years of sobriety and Johnny has uh, for the last three years been the leader of the celebrate recovery ministry that is growing and being used by god in this church and this community and uh, i wanted johnny to come and, and maybe talk about the connection of this movie and also about a special event you've got coming up to celebrate uh, three years of celebrate recovery here at uh, houston first church
1: yeah actually um celebrate recovery am i on okay the movie um home run it's actually homerunthemovie.com if you want to check it out is um is an opportunity for, for, for people to really get introduced to Celebrate Recovery. Um, the uh, Behind the scenes of everything going on in this movie is um, is more than just people struggling with alcohol. It's, uh, it's really a, an opportunity uh, to see in this movie um, lives being changed from uh, codependency, anger, compulsion, you name it. And, and, and that's what Celebrate Recovery is all about. It's not just about the people struggling with chemical addictions and things like that. Celebrate recoveries for anybody that has any issues they want to get off their chest that they're struggling with. And so um, really want to encourage us to go out and, and support the movie. Uh, it's April 19th and um, I know for a fact it's at Tomball Katy, uh, the Edwards uh, Cinema down by um, Lakewood Church off of uh, 59. So uh, really want to encourage everyone to go out and bring somebody that you know that might benefit from seeing this movie. And then the uh, special event we're having is um, our third anniversary of Celebrate Recovery here at this church thanks to our pastor and the support mm-hmm. of this, this church. it's been, It's just been an amazing journey the last three years just watching people change and uh, come and, and, and even people coming to know Christ that didn't know Christ before so and that's the ultimate goal. Um, and so we're going to celebrate on May 3rd right here in the sanctuary on a Friday night. We're going to open the doors about 6.30. Come out and uh, enjoy the fellowship, the opportunity to, uh, to uh, worship uh, to some uh, Hillsong. We're going to show a Hillsong concert. Uh, I don't know how many Hillsong fans are out there. Anybody? <laughs> yeah? So uh, come out and enjoy it with us. 6.30, doors will open. We'll provide uh, pizza and, and sodas and stuff for, uh, for refreshment. The uh, concert will start at 7, and uh, we'll just go where God leads us from there. So thanks for everything. Yeah.
0: Let's continue to worship as we receive our tithes and offerings and give gratefully to God. Thank Him for all He's done for us. We uh, just heard a song about the fact that we know that this is a temporary home. That uh, to know the Lord is to know that there is a home beyond here. And a place uh, where God's will is always done and accomplished. And we long for that and look forward to that. But we're not there yet. And so we have this, this home and all that goes with it. In the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about our homes. Uh, we're going to talk about things like, like parenting and children. We're also going to talk about singleness, single homes. We're going to talk about our church home. We're going to talk about children who have no home and what we ought to be doing as a part of the body of Christ for them. And, uh, and we will talk about the eternal home that is there for us today though I want to talk about atmosphere the atmosphere of our homes you know when you go to a new restaurant or or a new store the food uh, or the product that's being sold it it doesn't matter a great deal and I guess if you force me to choose when it comes to food would I rather have a nice-looking restaurant or a place of good food I'm gonna choose the good food but I still care about the atmosphere and uh, so you kind of check out the atmosphere. You check it out from the decor, the way things look, uh, the music that's in the background or, or whatever's going on. You, it definitely, the atmosphere is affected by the people that are there to serve you, uh, to wait on you. Uh, and even the other people that are there, you're kind of checking out the clientele. And my dad's philosophy was always when you go to a restaurant and there's nobody in the parking lot, we don't need to go in there. There needs to be somebody else checking it out as well. So, you know, those things do matter. The atmosphere is a consideration when you go to a new place like that. But what about the atmosphere of our homes? What about the atmosphere of your home? How would you describe that? How would you describe the atmosphere that's in the place where you live? And um, maybe this question, what do other people sense When they walk through your doors. What's the atmosphere like there to them? There's something that that God made very clear very early on to His people. In one of those first few books of the Bible, God just made it very, very clear that that God's desire for every home, for for every home, no matter how many people live there, whether it's one or thirteen, No matter how many people live there, it's God's desire that your home would be marked by His presence. That that would be a place where God's presence is known, where it's welcome, where it's sensed. And so the question for us, if that's the atmosphere that God desires for our homes, desires for your home, my home, what's it going to take for that to be a reality? is is there just some sort of strange ethereal atmosphere out there or is there that's just completely mysterious or is there something and some choices that can be made and some directions to go that can make it a real reality for God's presence to mark the home that you live in what what is it that's going to be there that will that will foster that that will develop that i want us to look in deuteronomy chapter 6 and also, we'll look some in chapter 11. Deuteronomy 6 and 11 have a lot of verses in common that parallel each other, that, that reinforce each other. But these, these foundational words to God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4, says this, Listen, O Israel. And you can just put people of God in there for Israel. Listen, people of God. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In these verses right here, these foundational verses, I think that the Lord does give us some direction about, here's, here's some things that will foster, some things that will develop a sense of the presence of God in your home, in your life, in the place where you live every day. And the first of those is just simply our lifestyle. Our lifestyle. God is calling us here to a wholeheartedly devoted lifestyle of love for Him. And and that is not just some emotional love. It's a love that's demonstrated in our commitment to His ways and His commands, His laws, His ways of doing things. Hearts and lives that are devoted to God are going to permeate the atmosphere around them. It's going to make a difference wherever you are if your life is completely devoted to God and it's going to start in your home life. I recently uh, had a conversation with um, with my daughter Jana, and she was telling me about a, a very close friend of hers who who has a two and a half year old son and uh, a single mom, and they've gone through some struggles and some tough times, and and uh, they've found their way, um, you know, seeking God in a new way in the last uh, few weeks, and and been to church more often and things like that, and and she was telling me the story about the two and a half year old boy they were riding in the car and mom had some music some music on and and her little guy was from the back seat the car seat saying no mommy no mommy and she what is it and he said no mommy god music god music and she changed the channel over to ksbj and 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 realized as he started nodding his head that 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 was it you know and so what are you saying, Pastor Jeffrey? The answer to my problems for atmosphere in my life and home is to listen to only Christian music. No, that's not what I'm saying because I violate that myself. I listen to all kinds of stuff. But a little more wouldn't hurt. That's not the main point, though. The main point is this. Even a child, even a young child can sense what's in the atmosphere and knows when it's what it should be don't discount that speaking of children we uh, we kept a small child at our house for the better part of the weekend and um it's kind of my responsibility at our house not all the rules in our house are laid out and written down but there's just certain expectations unspoken things that are there and one of my one of my definite jobs is to take out the trash And I don't have to have that written down because when there are three trash bags sitting out in front of the door for you to trip over, you know that after 28 years of marriage, you're not supposed to step around those. You're supposed to pick those up and take those out. And it doesn't usually have to be that way. I usually bag it up myself and, and prepare for that because, you know, if you don't take the trash out, it's not good, is it? That'll change the atmosphere of your home, won't it? You let, some, you let some rotten food or some dirty diapers marinate in that pantry for a little while, in that trash can, and it'll change the atmosphere, won't it? What about rotten attitudes? And ungodly, degrading content that we watch and read and listen to on a regular basis. Stuff with no moral direction or strength of character or anything that will build you up. You think that'll change the atmosphere? If that hangs around? I think it'll stink it up pretty good. My best friend in high school, um, most of junior high and high school, came from a, a very different situation than, than I did. And um, I, was in, uh, I was in his home you know, numerous times, but never for long. On the other hand, he was in my home almost constantly, uh, even staying, you know, many nights during the week, school nights, etc. One of the reasons for that is just because of the atmosphere of his home. I remember we walked in one day to his house, and uh, his parents were sitting at kitchen table. At not not a large home, but sitting at a kitchen table, and kind of the living area was all in the in the same room and they were sitting at the kitchen table in the middle of the afternoon and they were eating cereal and uh, smoking cigarettes and and sitting at the table and his little siblings were running around half dressed and pretty much unsupervised and there was dog mess right in the middle of that living area floor that had been sitting there for a while and uh, Nobody seemed to care. So it wasn't surprising that um, when they didn't care about something visible, tangible, (laughs) that stunk like that, it wasn't surprising that they typically didn't care at all where my friend was, whether he was at home or not, day or night. It wasn't surprising that they never attended a single ball game that he played in junior high or high school. It wasn't surprising that they never called to check on him when he would stay at my house for days on end. The atmosphere wasn't good. Our lifestyle makes a total difference in the atmosphere of our home and our life the choices we make, and if we make that that ultimate choice that I am going to, as God helps me, love Him wholeheartedly with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Devote myself to His ways. That'll change the atmosphere of everywhere I am. And particularly in my home. Not only our lifestyle, but our conversation matters. There's a lot in these verses that I read to you about what we talk about and there were even these specific instructions that that you, you look at verse 8 in Deuteronomy 6 and he's saying tie these these laws these commands of God to your hands to, on your foreheads and write them on your doorposts is that literal Do they really did they really mean that well some of God's followers did take that literally and there's some a few that you can even see today you go to certain communities in the world I've seen the folks particularly in certain parts of New York City walking around with the, the little book tied on a band around their forehead, on their wrist. Those things that would be placed on the door frames, they're called phylacteries. Just a big word for these literal, literal symbols of God's commands and God's law. And I think when we think about that, there's a little bit of a tendency for us as Christians to kind of, at least for me, to kind of dismiss that. You know, like, well, I, we're not supposed to take that literally, and, and you know, I'm not going to go out and start wearing that headband with the. I mean, that'd really stick out on me, wouldn't it? That'd be interesting. That'd be an interesting look. But it is a good question to ask are, are we any more serious or successful in, in, in flavoring the whole of our life with intentional, conscious attention? to the law of God, the word of God that helps us personally and as families live out a a lifestyle? Do we have a strategy for living out that commitment to God totally and being reminded of what He said to us? So there's this encouragement for the atmosphere of our home to talk about it versus talk about it, repeat it again and again it says, talk about it when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Morning, day, and night, the, the commands and the character of God, that's always a good conversation topic. The New Testament has, has lots of examples, and lots of, of things that it says about how we ought to, to talk to one another, how we ought to speak to, to one another. There are a couple of those that, that I'm reminded of from the Apostle Paul. In uh, his letter to the Ephesians, Paul gives these just straightforward examples, just a couple of simple verses. First he says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Does that mean all your conversation at home is going to be, yes, dear, no, dear? No. But is it good and helpful even when you're correcting Even when you're speaking something that's tough to hear, is it for the good? Or just so you'll feel good about it? Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You live by that. It'll change the atmosphere of your home. Further down in that letter, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, he says, Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. There's some things we could do to not talk about that would improve the atmosphere of our homes. You know, I stand up here and I say all this, and, and, and I would just confess to you, our home over the years has been far from perfect. If, if I were to make one of those statements that I've heard occasionally at a funeral or something when a when a spouse is passed on and somebody says, you know, we never had a crossword. And I'm like, uh, and you never told a lie either. I mean, I it's like, really? Now, our home's been far from perfect. But, but Julie and I have strived for it to be marked by God's presence. And I, and I owe m- much of that a tremendous amount of that to the prayers of my wife who is an intercessor and a prayer warrior. And by the way, she prays for you. Now there have been several occasions over the years when, uh, when our daughter's friends uh, have been in our home and, and over the years there's been a lot of daughter's friends in our home. Guys and girls. Some of the guys weren't always Completely welcome, but yeah, they were there nevertheless. <laughs> Present company excluded. <laughs> but I can remember a handful of times when when these kids would be at our house, and, uh, and later on, a couple of them even related to us directly, but later on when our daughters would share, and, and even though our daughters weren't always excited about The atmosphere of our home and everything. They would say things like, these kids would say things like, Your parents talk to you. And they talk to each other. And when I come in your house, nobody's yelling and screaming and cursing at each other. And you seem to be worried about the fact that they want to know where you are and what you're doing when I really wish somebody cared what was going on in my life and where I was and what I was doing. The conversational tone in our homes matters. And it makes a difference in the atmosphere, not only in that place, but in people's lives. Our lifestyle fosters the presence of God in our life Our conversation fosters, encourages, develops the presence of God in our homes, and so does prayer. So I don't want to get into another sermon about prayer today, but I just want to encourage you again to pray over your home. It wouldn't hurt some of you to go home today and just walk through your house and say a short prayer in every room of that house. The the bed where maybe a husband and wife sleep, or where you sleep alone. The room where you spend time watching television, might not even hurt you to lay your hand on that box and, and pray for what you're being influenced by coming through that. Walk in your kids' rooms. Pray for the Spirit of God to be known and heard there. And grandparents, you get a chance to be in that home where your grandchild is, I'd do the same thing. Your kids ask you, where are you going, mom? You say, well, I'm just going on a little prayer walk. I'll be right back. It's okay. I'm not going to move anything. I'm not going to touch anything. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Just praying. And it wouldn't hurt for you to pray for everyone who comes through your door. And pray for all the ones that you will influence when you walk out that door every day. Because the home where you live, whether there's one or 13 people there, is marked by the presence of God. A home or an atmosphere marked by God's presence, that's what we're going for. That's what God wants for us. And those things will foster it. Our lifestyles, our conversations, our prayers. But there are definitely things that will hinder it. There are things that will... That will keep us from having that. And the Lord described that well too in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at these uh, words with me in Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 10. He says, The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. And you will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. And when you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. And you must fear the Lord your God and serve Him. When you take an oath, you must use only His name. The atmosphere that would, of God's presence that should mark our homes is hindered when we forget. When we forget God when things are good. In those verses I just read to you, the Lord is talking about things that were provided for His people. Things that they didn't make themselves. Things He provided for them according to His promises. But our tendency is, as we see in the history of His people, when things are going well, when things are provided for us, when things are going good, we tend to forget that it's God who provided those things. And God's strong warning here is don't forget God when things are good. You know, the the word geek um, has been around for quite a while. And if you look up definitions for geek, the first one you'll find is something like this, a person regarded as foolish or inept or clumsy. But there are also is kind of over the last several years a new definition of geek that's come on and it's a person who is single-minded or accomplished in scientific or technical pursuits but is felt to be socially incompetent. I will not ask for a show of hands. The word usually isn't intended as a compliment, but, but these days if you have a problem with your computer or your cell phone or your gaming box or your TV or something along like, you're looking for a geek, aren't you? They even have the, I don't know how many years it's been out there, the company, the trademark of the Geek Squad, right? Some of you have used the Geek Squad. And, and they proudly advertise, they say, we're geeky, yes, but we also know what you're going through because nobody is more into technology than we are. And if you look on their website, even today, it, it has this slogan. And I wish I had it across there so you can make sure you catch the subtlety of the spelling. It says, the Geek Squad, Geek Squad will untangle your knots with our tech no. Okay, you just have to see that in your head. You spell knots with a K. K is silent. We untangle your tech knots with our techno K-N-O-W. That's pretty geeky, isn't it? That's that's pretty strong. (laughs) You know, you call somebody that's on the geek squad or your own friendly personal neighborhood friend geek and you give them a call and they come fix your problem and... And then you're ready for him to leave you alone. I think it's possible for us to treat God in the same way we might treat the Geek Squad. I love C.S. Lewis writing, and in the story about part of his life surprised by joy, C.S. Lewis described approaching God in a similar way. He said when he was young, he learned that his mother was dying, he was just a boy. And he remembered that he'd been taught that that if he prayed in faith, that God would grant his prayer. And so when his mother eventually died, Lewis prayed for a miracle. It didn't happen. And later on, he he wrote these words. He said, I had approached God or my idea of God without love, without awe, even without fear. He was in my mental picture uh, 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 to appear neither as savior, as judge, but merely as a magician. And when he had done what was required of him, I suppose he would simply, well, go away. And it never crossed my mind that the tremendous contract which I solicited should have any consequence beyond restoring the status quo. What does that mean? It means anytime we expect God to fix our problems and make things good again, and then say to Him, Go away, we can live without you now, we're kind of treating God like the Geek Squad. We live in a culture that, by and large, has done that. And maybe, in a sense, people always have a lot of new interest in President Lincoln, perhaps our most loved and respected, well-known president in our history, with the, the movie this last year, which, which I found very interesting. Did you know in 1863, President Lincoln designated April 30th as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer? And I want to read to you a, a portion of the proclamation that he gave on that occasion. He said this, It is the duty of nations as well as of men who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. We have grown in numbers and wealth and power as no other nation has grown. But we have forgotten God. It's easy to do where we live. Things are going well. I've got it together. This is good. And we forget that we owe all of that goodness to God. That hinders us from having a home marked by His presence. And so does this. When, when we abandon God because of distractions, and there's surely a lot to distract us. The Israelites dealt with this. The people of God dealt with this. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, here was God speaking to them in verses, verses 14 and 15. He said, You must not worship any of the gods of the neighboring nations, for the Lord your God is, who lives among you is a jealous God. A God who wants your devotion, your attention, and there's so much coming at us every day from so many different directions. There's so much fighting for your attention. I realize that it's fighting for it right now. You've got a, almost every one of you could got a device in your hands. You could just totally be tuned out right now. You could be watching your sling box. For all I know that watching TV from your household, sitting there, feeling good about the fact that you showed up in church, but your body's here, but your mind's elsewhere. You may be reading something else, thinking about something else. There's so much going on in our lives from so many different directions. It fights for our attention, our time, our devotion, for our hearts, for our minds. I read, I read these, I just read to you from... 160 years ago or so, I might as well read to you from 100 years ago, I read these words from a pastor, uh, written about 100 years ago, Pastor George W. Truett, who pastored in, in Dallas. And he said this in a sermon in the early 1900s. It must be plain to all of us that, that the home life of our land is being terribly undermined and endangered today. What with the telegraph, the telephone the daily press, the automobile, the airplane, the radio, and the movies. What with all these, what shall be the outcome for the home? And he said, I repeat, this serious-minded person with eyes half open must be aware that the home life of our land is being terribly imperiled, terribly imperiled and undermined. I mean, that telegraph, you know, tick, 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 that would be distracting, wouldn't it? there's so much going on i don't think the issues have changed from from creation and the fall but but the intensity of things the readiness of things it's just so prevalent it's just and it's moving 99 miles an hour all the time isn't it there's lots to be distracted by but if you want to a life and a home marked by God's presence, you'll be asking God, keep me centered and focused on you. and Keep the priorities of this home and this life and the relationships that mingle there centered on you. Help me see things for what they really are. Here's the third and final hindrance that would mark That would hinder a home marked by God's presence. It's when we test God because of hardship. um, Pastor, what do you mean when we test God? I mean something like this. When we basically say to God, God, here's my issue. Here's my problem. Here's my situation. Here's what I want you to do about it. Are you going to come through? God, are you going to pass my test? Here is my need. Here is what I want. Now, you see it. It's clear enough, isn't it? Do you not get it? Do you not understand? Do I need to explain it to you again? So I would never talk to God that way. I hope not. He knows your heart, though. God, are you going to come through with what I want and the way I expect it if you don't do it? then God, you're not God, or at least you're not good. So if you want my devotion, if you want my worship, if you want my obedience, you better fix this, and you better take this hardship away, and oh, by the way, you better do it now. That's testing God. The reference that is made in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16 in, to Israel's history says, You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massah. And you could look that up back in Exodus chapter 17 when God was leading His people through the wilderness. He'd taken them out of slavery in Egypt, 400 years of it. He'd parted the Red Sea. He'd done all kinds of miracles and things to provide for the millions of people that were making their way to the promised land. But it seemed like constantly any time a trouble came up, they were testing God and demanding God. And in Exodus chapter 17 where you can read about, they're blaming God, they're thirsty, They've they've hit a drought in a place where they can't find any water and they're blaming God and they're ready to stone Moses because they're thirsty. God's already come through for them so many times and here again they are lacking trust and putting him to the test. Amazingly, God came through for them once again. He brought water straight out of the rock, gushing out of the rock, it says. But it wouldn't be long before they'd forget that and be testing him again. That does not have to be who we are. Our homes can be marked, our lives can be marked by the presence of God. As I said earlier, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 11 have a lot of parallels to each other. They have much much in common. Some of the same exact words are repeated. But in Deuteronomy chapter 11, at, at kind of the end of the same instructions and, and discourse to, that we find in, in chapter 6, at the end, at, towards the end of Deuteronomy chapter 11, these words are, are spoken. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 26 says, Look, Today I'm giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. You will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. But you will be cursed if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from Him and worship gods you've not known before. Just maybe there's somebody here that hears that and the reaction is just a little bit of, Whoa, (laughs) whoa. That's a little weird. That's a little concerning. I I don't know if I want to believe in a God who would curse me. Well, The the truth is, me neither. I don't know that I want to believe in that. But as I look at it, that's not what's happening here. This isn't God arbitrarily dropping fairy dust here and then, and then here swatting others away. Here's what God is telling us. If you want a home, if you want a life of blessing or curse, it's your choice. It's our choice. This isn't God saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless some and curse others. This is God saying, I've established a way. I've established a path. I've established a direction. And it is a way that is blessed and marked by my presence. And the way that is opposite of that, that leads away from that, It's cursed. It's not blessed. It's not going to lead to the good. This way leads to life and blessing. This way leads to frustration and ultimately destruction. Does that mean this way is always easy? No, but it's the way that's marked by the presence of God. And this way is marked by a God who loves and reaches, but is not blessing this direction of life. And what I see clearly here is our choice. We can choose the home, the life that's blessed or the one that's not. What do you choose today? It's your choice. I would love to to pray for you today. To pray for all of us. I want to pray for your, your life, your home, atmosphere, but, uh, but first I want you to hear these words from the New Testament that, that I hope stay with you, that you could hold on to today, that, that I think if you embrace these and the truth and the presence of God in them, it'll change the atmosphere or continue to keep the atmosphere of your home what it ought to be. I love these words in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Listen to me. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise and keep putting into practice all that you have learned and received from me everything you've heard from me and saw me doing and then the god of peace will be with you those are words from the apostle paul who said follow me as i follow christ and in his letter to the colossians chapter 3 beginning at verse 12 listen to this since god chose you to be the holy people he loves you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy kindness humility gentleness and patience make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you remember the lord forgave you so you must forgive others and above all clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony and let the peace that comes from christ rule in your hearts For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and be thankful. Lord, we thank you so much today for the abiding presence of your Spirit that can be in our lives and that can be with us wherever we go. And and especially today, Lord, can permeate the atmosphere of the places where we live. So, Lord, I pray today that we would embrace this truth. And that we would seek to have our hearts wholly devoted to you. Not just with word, but with action of obedience that as you enable us, as we have faith in you, you'll help us to walk each day to to live for you. And Lord, we know we can't do that on our own strength. We need your power to do that. But Lord, today we want to incline our hearts, to open our hearts up to your presence and to your direction, to the truth of your word. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here and every homemade apartment, place where they live, Lord, that, that it would be a place where the presence of God is known and felt and sensed because the Word of God is read there because prayers are spoken there, prayers of, with humility and with gratitude and, and prayers of saying, God, You know best and I want to do Your will. Here's my need, but may it be according to Your Word places where the the Lord is is spoken about even in the context of trivial everyday matters we remember the Lord and we remember the Lord in the way we speak to each other in the way we ask of each other and the Lord especially in the way that we make allowances for each other's faults and forgive each other Lord, I pray that there would just be a transformational work that would begin to take place in in every household connected to this church. I pray that the presence of God would mark every home and every life every influence Lord may you be the center of who we are be at the center of where we live and how we live Now, Lord, I I know that you love every single person in this room. And you want the absolute best for them. And you've marked out a way of blessing for them. And for me, so, Lord, I ask you to help us walk in that way. Just turn our hearts, turn to you. For some of us today, Lord, that means we need to turn around from the direction we're going and turn to you. And if, if we repent in that way, Lord, you will honor that. You'll bless that. presence today. Will you stand with me? If you need to pray, if you need to bring your prayer cards to the pillars today, seek God, pray for your home, pray for your life to be marked by His presence.